Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. So we're glad to have them with us here today. Amen. We can just be a pit spot, pit stop for you while you're laboring at Duke. We'll do to the best of our ability. Second Samuel 14, verse number 23, starting. The Bible says, so Joab arose and went to Jeshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. But in all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty from the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head. There was no blemish in him when he pulled his head, for it was at every year's end that he pulled it. Because the hair was heavy upon him, therefore he pulled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of a fair countenance. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. This morning I want to minister this to us. Let me see the king's face. Now, I want to explain today. We're going to put a pin in the text I just read to you. I'm not I'm going to come back to it. But for a good while this morning, we're just putting a pin in it and I'm going to get back to it. I'm not usually I'm not one of those preachers that usually takes the text and never talks about the text I just gave you, okay? But I'm going to put a little pin in it and we're going to do some preaching and we'll get back amen to that. Let me see the king's face. Father, I come to you today. Lord, I'm appreciative, Lord Jesus, of your presence and your spirit. God, that we have felt and that we have witnessed in this place through Lord's song and through worship. I pray now, Lord, come alongside us, Lord, as we look again into the word of God. We know, Lord Jesus, these are the words of life. These are the words of strength, the Lord, of encouragement, of reproof. God, all these things and even more, Lord, for our individual lives. I pray, God, enlighten our minds today. Open our understanding, Lord Jesus, to receive what heaven would desire, Lord Jesus, to share with us. God will not fail to praise you and thank you, Lord, for what you do. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Can the church say amen? You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finish this phrase for me this morning if you can. The grass is always greener on the other side. The grass on the other side of the fence has at times an attractiveness to it and it makes our side of the fence a little bit as of an embarrassment to us. We believe at different times in our walk and our experience of life, we believe that others have it better. They have it better. They have a better job, a better house, a better spouse, a better car, I'm just talking, a better church, better health, better life, etc., and etc., and the list could go on. By all appearances, to our estimation, life is just better for them. They have it better. 
They don't have to deal with the heartaches you have to deal with or the pain and the sorrow that you have to deal with. They don't have to deal with the disappointments like we do or like you do. And we interpret oftentimes the mercy that they get as a better life that they have to live. We miss the fact that they are freed what would seem like from some outward miseries and outward disappointments because they have been given liberal amounts of mercy. When we view other people's lives with a longing eye or a yearning eye, we have a a low sense of appreciation in some regard for the lives that we live, for the lives that we uh, carry on with in our life. In moments like these, all that we can see normally in these moments when the grass appears to be greener is all we see is our troubles. All we see is how we were treated wrong or there's some type of ill treatment that came down the pike to us. All we can see is the struggles that we've been dealing with or are dealing with and we are dealing with our despair and so everything else looks better in other people's lives. And so the only thing that we can see or presume is the unfairness of life. They have it better, I have the hardship. You know, Uh, they get the good job and I'm just scratching by. It's how we perceive things. This mindset this morning is as old really as the dirt from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had every tree in the garden to eat thereof. The Old Testament tells us except one and that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that one tree becomes the greener grass. On the other side to them, the Bible says that Eve saw this particular tree, that it was good for food. She saw that it was pleasant unto her eyes and it was one to be desired to make her wise. She has every tree in the garden, but this one, it's better in her estimation than the rest. I mean, what about all the other trees in the garden that's at her disposal? What about the countless numbers of others when one is believed to be better than everything else pales in comparison to it, it seems. There's that false idea that if we reach their status or if we reach that person's place in life and pattern our lives after theirs, then maybe we'll have the better that they have. Maybe everything will be okay if we can just fall in line with them because it seems like they've got it all together and everything is going their way. Nothing seems to happen to them. Nothing evil or nothing disappointing happens to them. And so we start to think maybe we'll justify the risk to become like them because they have it better than we do. And we believe if we'll do like them, uh, that we'll also get the same benefits that we perceive that they are getting. Can I tell you this morning, it is the voice of the serpent that still is speaking into the ears of the people as it did Eve, saying, you won't die. You'll be as the gods. Go ahead, Eve. Nothing nothing will happen. And it really doesn't matter, Eve, how you live your life or order your life. It's better, isn't it? On the other side of the fence, things will be better, Eve, if you'll change. They'll get better, Eve, when you stop caring about what is right or what is appropriate and you just try to achieve the goal of something better. But here's the fact of the matter, and we know this to be true in our daily walks, and that is sometimes the finish line of contentment is always ahead of us. Right, You're always approaching it. You're always trying to cross it. When you get within a mile distance of it, it seems as though it's pushed a couple more miles ahead of you. That, that finish line of contentment is always ahead of us, and we are always approaching it. It's always this, you know, just one more procedure and everything will be okay. 
just one more test and everything's going to be all right. Just one more medication and that's going to level all these levels out. One more application, the job will be mine. Just one more day. It's always continually just, just one more. Just one more. The finish line is elusive. It's constantly out of our reach. We remain at times unhappy, frustrated, and borderline mad at times. And so I want you to know today, though, you and I stand shoulder to shoulder with some great characters throughout Scripture who had similar thoughts concerning their own life. The Bible records in Psalm 73, David pins a long psalm here and he begins to ponder some of the very things that I've already given unto you this morning. He begins to look at the wicked. He begins to look at all these people. It would seem to his estimation that had it better. The Bible says, he said, I, I, I'm envious of the foolish. He says, I've seen the prosperity of the wicked. Wicked, yes, but they're the ones that seem to be prospering. They're the ones that seem to be getting what I wish I had. There, there are no bands in their death. What David was meaning there is that they, they have no pain in their death. There's no torment in their death. It's not as though they are dying because of disease or some horrid terminal illness that came upon their body. They're just dying because of old age. But it seems like people like me, it's pain, it's sorrow, it's struggle, it's terminal illness, it's, it's disease, it's heartache, it's despair. And he says so. They have no bands in their death, I, that looks better. That grass looks greener. They're, they're not troubled, he said, about trouble and plagued as other men are. They're, they're not troubled by these things. They're not plagued by these things. It seems as though they live on easy street and everything as well. He says their strength is, is firm. He says people like me, man, we, we know what it's like to live with weakness. We, we know what it's like not to have the strength that seems to meet the sunrise of a new day, but their strength is firm. They, they have more heart amen, then they could even wish for. I'm just scraping by. They have increased riches. They do. The, the wicked do. Those that have it better, they have increased riches. He says, but here am I. He said, the wicked are springing up as the grass. On the left hand, on the right hand, the workers of iniquity, they're flourishing. Anything it seems like they're touching, anything that they're involved in, any social circles that they have, flourish left, flourish right. But David says, but me? All day long I've been plagued. They're not troubled with plagues, but all day long of the days and years of my life, I've had it bad. He said, every morning I'm chastened with some new or reoccurring affliction. If I didn't have enough on my shoulders yesterday, there's something else added to my load today. I've had it bad, and they've had it better. Someone say amen. Job, another character that can relate as David did to perhaps some here today in Job 21. Here is Job, the upright man, as Scripture describes him. And yet he says the wicked, he says the wicked become old. The wicked become old. In other words, their life is not taken prematurely. They're, if I could say it for something that's real close to this week, they're not a Morgan molester. They're not taken at 20 years old. They're, they're old. They grow to old age. They, they are mighty in power and their seed or their offspring is established before their eyes. He said their houses that they have and dwelling places that they have, all these things are protected and they are safe. God's judgments are not upon them. It seems like there's no judgment of God that's falling heavily upon them. Their livestock, they reproduce 
continually. They have no loss among their livestock. Their children are rejoicing and even dancing in the streets. Their days are spent in wealth. They know what it's like, amen, to have the silver spoon in their mouth. And in a moment, they go to the grave. Again, nothing painfully drawn out. They just die. But Job says, me? He said, I've lost 500 yoke of oxen that were taken. I've lost 500 she-asses that were taken. 7,000 sheep of mine's been burned up by the fire. 3,000 camels that I had have been taken. My seven sons and my three daughters were in a house and the wind blew and took it down and I lost all 10 of my children. I lost my health. I had boils from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet all over my body and I've lost almost every relationship that I've had with most people. And he says, so yeah, that looks better someone say amen he says in Job 21 and verse 14 therefore they the wicked say unto God depart from us for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways what is the almighty that we should serve him and what profit should we have if we pray unto him. He's saying, God, the wicked even see this. They see it just as much as we do. And they're saying, they don't want to have anything to do with you. They don't want to know the ways of the Lord because it seems as though they have it pretty good right where they're at. Seems as though things have turned in their direction right well where they at. Why in the world should they serve God? Amen. When it seems like those that are serving God would almost through natural eyes be that disadvantage in serving God. So, so why would they want to serve you? What profit would they get? What would they gain? What would be, if you will, the perk in praying to you and serving you? Someone say amen. I tell you today. That probably each and every one of us, if we'll be honest with each other and ourselves, have met a time in life just like this when we've imagined in ourselves and had the same thoughts in our own hearts and minds, maybe didn't utter it to anybody, but have thought it and thought, what good is it? What good is it serving the Lord? What good is it showing up for Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night Bible study? What good is it to faithfully pay my tithe? What good is it to invest in our kids for NYC? What good is it to spend each day in a moment of prayer and read my Bible? What good is it for all these things when it seems like every other life that's not attached to God has it a whole lot better than I have? They have better hopes, dreams, and aspirations, don't have near the troubles or the struggles. What good is it? The Bible says in Jeremiah 44, and this is in the Living Bible, but Jeremiah 44 and verse 15, listen to it now. Then all the women present and all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to idols, a great crowd of all the Judeans living in northern Egypt and southern Egypt answered Jeremiah, we will not listen to your messages from the Lord. We will do whatever we want. We will burn incense and pour out liquid offerings to the queen of heaven. Just as we like. Just as we and our ancestors and our kings and officials have always done in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For in those days we had plenty to eat. And we were well off and had no troubles. But ever since we quit burning incense to the queen of heaven 
and stopped worshiping her with liquid offerings, we have been in great trouble and have been dying from war and famine. Their voice was this. We're going to do whatever we want to do as much as we want to do it because in doing so, it seems as though we're better off. We are well off. We had plenty. We had no troubles. And it's when we decided or turned to live uprightly that life turned to gloom and doom and despair. And we're constant companions with these type of things. So we're just going to go on and do what we want to do. Because what good is it? Someone say amen. I've come to arise on this Sunday morning and tell us, brothers and sisters, that we have been duped into believing we must walk as others walk in order to be free from the dark nights of disappointment and the hardships of adversity. But I stand along Mr. Thomas Brooks when he said, health and wealth and honors and crosses and sicknesses and losses are cast upon good men and bad men indiscriminately. The Bible even teaches us. We can get tunnel vision sometimes if we don't watch it. The Bible even teaches us of two people, Saul and Jonathan. Saul and his son, Jonathan. The Bible knows and tells us that they lived two absolutely different lives. They had two different lives. They had two different natures. Yet the Bible says in the first chapter of 2 Samuel that when Saul and Jonathan died, that they were not divided. What that meant was this. They had two different lives. They led two different lives with two different natures but death came to them both. In death, they were not divided. There was no difference. They both died according to the scripture at the hands of the Philistines. They both died at the hand of the same enemy. The one was more reputable than the other. The one had a more pleasing nature than the other. They both were taken by the same enemy. What are you saying this morning, Brother I'm saying this, you cannot judge the heart of God toward a man because he has been merciful to him. You hear me? You cannot judge the heart of God toward a man because he's been merciful to him. What are you saying? I'm saying just because they've had no agony and no despair and no trouble and no struggle, you can't judge the heart of God toward that person that God is just favorable of them and their life and the way in which they live their life and where they're going. You can't judge the heart of God based upon his merciful hand toward man. But likewise, you cannot critique God because he's been heavy-handed with another man because he has met sorrow, because he has met despair, because trouble's been his constant friend. You can't critique God and say he doesn't think well of that man. Someone say amen. Can I tell you this morning that God's hand seemed to be against Job? I believe we would agree. God's hand seemed to be against Job, but only because his heart was toward Job. Yeah. God asked Satan, have you considered Job? There's none Right? We have this inside view in the discussion of the heavenlies. We don't get this in our normal life. But we get this view. Have you considered Job? There's none like him in the earth. Perfect. Upright. 
respects God has nothing to do with evil. Yet in this season of Job's life, he doesn't have the hand of God. He doesn't have the livestock untouched. He doesn't have the children sitting around the table that his wife bore to him. He's lost almost every notable relationship he has. He doesn't have the hand of God. But though he did not have the hand of God, he never stopped having the heart of God. I'm here to encourage someone today. Don't you dare by any means start to estimate your relationship with God based upon his hand, based upon what you receive, based upon what you get from him because you might be deficient in the hand of God but always know if you live uprightly and perfectly and intended with his spirit, you'll always secure the heart of God. While Job had his trouble, God was beholding his treasure. First Peter 1 and 6 says these words. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or testings would be a more literal Interpretation. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, sir, ma'am. You can't judge the success of your life lived for the Lord in your 70 years upon this earth. You can't judge the success of your life lived for the Lord until the moment the rapture comes. No, you gotta judge your success at his appearing. You may have had it bad. Your back may have been bent with trouble, but are you still his? When the trumpet sounds, it's gonna be worth every long mile. Every heartache and every trial. It's going to. Hey. Woo. We've been disillusioned. Some have been taken by thoughts of living differently. Because it seems the rewards upon this earth for living uprightly are few and far between. The sword has been drawn from its sheath, the psalmist says, and the bow has been bent, making the arrow ready upon the string. Look now, not for the wicked. It says, for the upright in heart and in lifestyle. Swords pulled for the upright. The crosshairs of the bow is upon the upright. Job said, the upright man is the one that's laughed to scorn. 
Again, we can't get tunnel vision in these days, folks. We got to balance scripture with scripture. Because just as much as those things are true according to God's word, David came along in the Psalms, and all these are from the Psalms. He says this likewise concerning the upright. He says, God saves the upright. God's countenance is upon the upright. The upright rejoices and shouts for joy. Praise is suitable for the upright. The upright's inheritance is forever. Oh, there's a notable difference right there. The wicked just have what they have now in the moment. But the inheritance of the upright is forever. The end of the upright, David says, is peace. There's gladness for the upright. They shall be blessed. Light arises in their darkness. They dwell in the presence of the Lord. What are you saying? I got my trouble. I got my heartache. I got my despair. But at least I'm in the presence of the Lord. I got, oh, I got problems. I got woes. I got pain. But at least I'm in the presence of the Lord. Holy. It says they shall be guided, delivered, their cities exalted. Their ways are God's delight. They shall have good things in possession. So we've been disillusioned at times that the grass is greener. We've considered others lack of misery without recognizing they've not been in the throes of misery because God's been abundantly merciful. Sometimes our longing eyes in this life has blinded us from the eternal privileges. Because whenever I consider eternal privileges, Brother Trout, and these are some biblical words, and I'm not going to define each of them. You can look them up on your own. But when I consider eternal privileges, I understand I've got justification. I got sanctification. I've been adopted by the spirit of adoption. I got redemption. I've been pardoned from sin. I have power over sin. I have freedom from the dominion of sin. I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I have a peace that passes all understanding. I have a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. We have a kingdom that shakes not and a glory that does not fade away oh yes amen if you want if you want to talk about something being better if that's the subject matter if that's the thing if you want to talk about something better then we better read one more time through the book of Hebrews if we want to talk about things being better Because the book of Hebrews simply could be themed better. The writer is writing to the church of that day. And he tells them concerning things better. He says we have better things. This is all in Hebrews. We have a better hope. 
We have a better testament. We have a better covenant. We have better promises. We have better sacrifices. In heaven, a better and enduring substance. A better country. A better resurrection. God having provided some better thing for us. Even better things than that of Abel. So that before we say we have it. Amen. They have it better. We must understand how good we really got it. Amen. Now to my text. Told you I'm going to leave it lingering out there. Absalom, the son of David, he planned his revenge against his brother Amnon. Amnon had killed their sister. Though by not the same mother, but he killed their sister. And now Absalom planned to kill Ammon as a result of what he has done. Upon killing Ammon, the Bible says that Absalom fled to the city of Jeshur. And he remained there for three years. Absalom was one that was banished, if you will, from the kingdom of Jerusalem from the blessed city the city of God banish but through the persuasiveness of Joab which was the captain of Israel under King David Absalom's father's command through the persuasiveness of Joab King David had Absalom brought home to Jerusalem watch this he's been in Jeshur for three years, seemingly ban- banished. But now he's been allowed to come home to his place of residency. He's been allowed to come home to his comforts and his perks of being the child of royalty. So Absalom's brought to his own house in Jerusalem. But there's a phrase there. But he was not allowed to see the king's face. He had all the perks that his home could furnish him. Had all the perks that his place of residency could give him. He had the privileges, if you will, of being a resident of the city of God, being a resident of Jerusalem. But he could not see the king's face. Notably, the scripture that I read to you this morning describes Absalom. Absalom is described that he was, and I know you don't necessarily say this most times concerning the man, but he was beautiful. Describes him as without flaw. There was none in the kingdom or in the land that should receive as much praise as Absalom got for his beauty and for being unflawed from head to toe. The Bible says there was no blemish found in him. Let me state it in these terms. I guarantee you there were other people that said Absalom has it better than I do. 
No blemish found in him. He's praised and adored for his beauty. The Bible describes in great detail concerning the beautiful and lovely head of hair that he even had upon his head. It also says that he had a nice family that was composed of of three sons and one daughter. The daughter of which the scripture says that she was rather fair. We're talking about a man, amen, that has a very nice, fair, looking, beautiful family. He has a good legacy to pass on to his children's. He has all things going for him. He's lived now back in Jerusalem and at home for two years now. But he's never saw the king's face. After much difficulty, Absalom finally gets the attention of Joab because he's hoping to request an audience with the king. Five years, he's not seen the king's face. Two of those years, he's had all the perks of his placement in life, but yet, without the ability to see the king's face. Woo! And Absalom says, Joab, I'd really like to have audience. For one, this is his dad, but it's the king. I'd really like to have audience with the king. This is what the scripture says. 2 Samuel 14 and verse 32. And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore, the question, Wherefore am I come from Jeshur? That's where he was for for three years. Wherefore am I come from Jeshur? It had been good for me. To have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face. If there be any iniquity in me. Let him kill me. You know what Absalom is saying? Absalom is saying. Joab. I have all the perks of Jerusalem. At my feet. I have all the privileges. Of living in my own home. I have all the comforts. Of being around my wife. And my own children. I have all the privileges of what royalty could extend to me being the son if you will of a king and I know I've been a murderer in the past and I know I have been banished in the past but all of that now fades in the background as I'm living in my house at my estate assumed by people to be one of the most beautiful men in the land with all the perks and the greatness of Jerusalem I'm flawless I got the right family I've got the right lineage I got the best house I got great kids. My wife is wonderful. They got the latest model chariot, if you will. They're healthy. My family is healthy. I'm an outsider. Amen. From an outsider looking in, they're probably thinking I'm a spectacle, that I've got it better, and the grass is greener on my side. But Absalom says, why was I brought back from Jeshur? I was three years there and now I've been back here two years but I've not seen the king's face. 
He says, I should have, I might as well should have stayed at Jeshur. Yeah, I've got my own home and family and the own privileges of being here. And I'm the talk of the town when it comes to beauty. Amen. What honor he has, what rich he has, what favor of the people he has. But if I have all of the riches, if I live in my own estate, if I have all the perks of Jerusalem, if I have my wife and my children, and I'm not capable of seeing the king's face, I might as well be in a place where I don't have riches, where I don't have my home, where I don't have health. I should have never came here if I wasn't in a position to see. Someone say amen. You know what he's saying? He's saying all of this is very shallow. When I can't have audience with the king. The beauty that they look upon me with. The eyes of longing that they have. Is very empty. When they would realize. That they can have audience with him. But I can't. Someone say amen. In essence, Absalom is saying, seeing the king's face, it's better than my job. Seeing the king's face, it's better than my house. Seeing the king's face, and no disregard here, it's better than my spouse. Seeing the king's face, it's better than the status I have. Seeing the king's face, it's better than the health that I have. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. To see in the king's face. Because Joab, all of these things truly are meaningless without the king. I should have stayed in Jishur. Because in essence, I'm really no better off. For sure, eternally, I'm really no better off here than what I was there if I'm absent of the king's presence living banished in Jashur is one thing lacking the perks of my home and my family is one thing but not seeing the king's face that eclipses them all perhaps that's the reason why the apostle Paul penned in Romans 8 18 to the church at Rome For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Perhaps the reason why he wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17 for our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, houses, lands, health, opportunity, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are. 
Let me see the king's face. The psalmist speaks in the book of Psalms of all the children of, of Israel in the Old Testament times that in their wilderness journey, the Bible says that they lusted or they desired in the wilderness for something more than the manna that God had provided for them. God had spiritually provided sustenance called manna for them in their wilderness journeys, but they came to a place that they lusted and desired something else. And this was the psalmist's explanation concerning that moment in the Old Testament. Psalms 106 and verse 15 for your reference. Some said, and he, speaking of God, he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. He gave them the material good that they desired. But the trade-off, the exchange, is that he sent leanness into their soul. I'm telling you this morning this. I'd rather have a fat soul and lack and be lean in my comforts and my wants and my desires than to have a lean soul and prosper every day through this life and every affair of my life without trouble or heartache. Because I want to see the king's face. Not looking on the things that are seen, but those that are not seen, the eternal. i got to share this real quick. We had this funeral for Morgan. Several different people were there from across the United States. Missionary Naomi was there from the Philippines, just people speaking. Brother Brent Wedding had been with Morgan on their trip that was over to Africa. Morgan had been over to Africa twice, once to Kenya, once to Uganda. That's where he was going to be a missionary. Brother Wedding was giving words about their trip over there in Africa and how he, he, he just won the hearts of the people, administered there tremendously and greatly, had knelt down in that soil, cried, had preached there in Africa, left a part of his soul in Africa. In Morgan's own words that we have video of, every time that he left Africa, it was always just one of those moments he would almost rather stay than go back home. One at that time, whenever, whenever Brother Wedding was with them, and this was Brother Wedding's first time of international travel, but they were with him, and where Morgan had bent down there and been praying and crying and where he had even preached, Brother Wedding went over there and got some of that red clay dirt from Africa and put it in a water bottle and put it in his luggage to come home. 
Well, he got stopped, of course, by international affairs. You're not supposed to take seeds and twigs and anything <clears throat> like that when are you international travel. And they said, here he has this bottle of dirt in it. Sorry, sir, you can't have that. He pleaded with them. He said, let me take this. Told them about Morgan. Told him about crying in that dirt, praying in that dirt, preaching in that dirt. God was going to send him back as a missionary someday. And they allowed him to take it. And as he was saying all those words, Brother Wedding pulls out of his pocket a bag with that dirt. And he says, I'm just going to, if you'll allow me today, come down and just place that in the casket with Morgan. In that casket, there was nothing, if you will, eternal. But when he placed that dirt there, that was just a representation of something that was. I guarantee you, if Morgan was there that day when those two people received the Holy Ghost at his funeral, he would tell you, there's nothing better. Because nothing compares to seeing the king's face. If you'll stand with me. The Bible even describes it. You think about Israel. The Bible even describes it in the book of Deuteronomy. He says all those 40 years that the children of Israel went through the wilderness. He knows, you know what he's told them? He says you all lacked nothing. Now they were hard up sometimes for water. They were hard up sometimes for food. But the spirit of the words knew the true meaning of the words. They lacked nothing. Psalmist said at one time, speaking to God, he says, God, apart from you, this is what the psalmist said. He says, apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I close with this this morning. John said it. He said, beloved, he said, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Our testimony, our plea today should be, let me see the king's face. And if the trade-off for that means some heartache and despair, so be it. If the trade-off to that is being able to someday touch the invisible and right now having to let loose of some of the temporal, so let that be. Because it's really of no true profit or gain if I have everything this world has to offer and I lack being able to see the king's face. Can we bow our heads in this place this morning? There may be somebody here today. What, and listen, please don't misconstrue what I say. I'm not saying, well, you got to have the worst life ever and have the biggest burden ever in order to see the Lord. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is this, that if you do have troubles and heartaches and despair, and it seems like others that are not serving the Lord has it easy, don't be, if you will, with a longing eye wishing you were them. Because what you do have is the presence of the Lord. A presence that will translate you out of here someday when the trump sounds. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, 
it will quicken your mortal body. And your immortal will put on mortality. And your corruptible will put on incorruptible. And we'll rise together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will have seen the king's face. I know, brother, you have it hard sometimes. I know, sister, you've had your shares of struggles. And it seems like after one wave hits, you can already look your eyes toward the horizon and the next wave is coming. And there's not much space, it seems, of relief between the two. But I wonder as we get so bogged down with the earthly, with what happens down here, if we can cast our eyes toward heaven and see, we still have access in seeing the king's face. I can be in my despair and look upon his glory. I can be in my agony and lean upon the master. You can see the king's face. But this morning, please hear pastor today. I don't know what you're preaching about today, man of God. Things are well here. Things are great here. Things are awesome here. And that's fine. As long as in tandem with that, you can say that you'll see the king's face someday. But if you can't confidently convey to me, I have access to his presence and I'll see his face someday. If you can't confidently admit that to me today, then I would make me a short trip to this altar and say, God, everything else pales in comparison. Apart from you, I don't have anything. I don't have anything good. Would someone trade some of the temporal for the eternal today? Would someone trade some things that will perish for something that is imperishable? For an incorruptible crown. These altars are open this morning. If you want to join us up here, pray. If you're just going through a time that it's hard, that things look better everywhere else except where you are, and the struggle and the burden of that is weighing you down, Oh, I challenge you. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. He cares for you. All the perks in this life doesn't outweigh, doesn't outweigh the privilege of knowing Him and be accounted as His. I want to see the King's face today. Hallelujah. This altar is open. Please, please join today. Amen. Let's have a conversation with God. No man knows. You know, my, my hope is someday to go by way of the rapture, but death may come to me first, and it may come earlier than what life expectancy of men or women are upon this earth. It could happen at any time. I just want to see the king's face. I want to see the king's face because I'll be changed into like what he is in that great moment. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, God. Oh. Jesus, wonderful is in the name of Jesus, wonderful. You can come to Him and have their sins removed. Is in the name of Jesus, wonderful. In the name of Jesus, beautiful. 
Just love him right now. Thank you, Lord, for your name. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for being able to have audience with you, oh Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to see the King's face. Yes, I do. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for being here today. You may be seated. We're going to transition here this morning. This is October. This is Clergy Appreciation Month. Amen. We have already done some things, of course, last week. And as you know, as we celebrated 80 years of the church, 10 years of my wife and I's pastorate here. However, our pastoral team is broader than just us. And uh, there are some other families today that we wish to respect and honor this morning, uh, along with Bishop and Sister McGee uh, that passed the baton on to us now a few years back. And also uh, Brother and Sister Jerry and Roberta Mason, amen, this morning as our administrative pastors. Amen. At this time, I'm going to turn this part of the service over uh, to Sister Sarah Johnson. Amen. If she'll come today, and we're going to spend a little bit of time of appreciation here today. Amen. Before we're dismissed this morning. Thank you.
I need the bishop and his wife. I'm glad we matched today. We got this thing going on here. <laughs> All right. Caring, loving, studiers, fun, guitar player, singers, a jumper, a leg kicker, some dancing, hands raising, a praying couple, a Bible reading couple, hand clappers, smilers, huggers, and the list can go on. These are just to name a few qualities that I feel like the bishop and his wife displays on a daily basis. Grateful for my bishop. I feel like I get the privilege of being the adopted one. So I feel very special. I don't know what I'd do without both of you. It's been many years. We've had some fun times, we've had some laughing times, we've had some scary times, and we've had some angry times, <laughs> and I wouldn't trade any of them in for the world. I'm thankful for the most non-judgmental people ever. We can, we can live our lives, and I know through the balance of it all, they're praying for us. They're praying for us to get committed. <laughs> they're praying for us in every way, shape, and form. When you exit the church and you don't come back, they're still praying for you. And they still want you to come to this building. And they're longing for that. That's their heart's desires. They, they just display what Christian living is all about, in my opinion. I can remember a time when we were sleeping and he was awake because he gets up in the middle of the night. And thankfully for his prayers, kept our family safe in the middle of the night. And we didn't know what was going on, but God did. And lucky for him, he followed God and was up and praying for us and kept us safe. We appreciate you. We appreciate everything you guys do for the church. We just appreciate knowing all the prayers are happening. And we are grateful for all the time that you study, you read. When the bishop does um, his sermons, we know that there's not light work put into that. There's a lot of effort. He preaches on a level that engages the kids, the babies, the adults, the elders. He covers it all. And today we just want to say thank you for all the hard work, dedication, hours, prayers, and everything you've done for our church. Can we give him a hand clap? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.